When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, and welcome back to Realistic Sustainability. I'm Mike, and I'm here with Nick. As long as my connection doesn't go out, I'm here too. Hey, brother. I know. Here we are. Not only are we recording in the morning, but now you have internet problems, so you're trying to do it from your phone. Nothing says let's have a good day like lack of ability to connect. Yeah, it's always challenging when that kind of stuff happens. But you know what? We're flexible. We figure it out and we move forward, right? Uh, Well, you're flexible. I will figure it out. (laughs) I'm not exactly flexible. All right, then. So first thing I wanted to chat about before we start, because the show is on social justice, but I wanted to talk about something I saw in Scientific America that remember recently we did a show on using solar panels as streets or roads for solar roads. You mean the solar freaking roads episode? I Yeah, I, I vaguely remember. Yes, it was something like that. Okay. Well, in Arizona, in, to attempt to reduce the heat in cities, they're painting all the streets a light reflective gray to take that sun and reflect it back up and basically do what, what the ice caps do for our planet, which is create a, a reflective surface so we don't absorb that heat. But it was funny because we had just talked about utilizing, creating a situation where we can use that to our advantage. Mm -hmm. And here is a large city, Phoenix, of all places. Phoenix has all the advantage in the world to collect electricity and energy, and they're painting the streets gray. Well, I would start by saying that I think this is one of those grass is always greener on the other side things. We live in Michigan, which may be a moody climate. But it is not even on its hottest days comparable to places like Arizona. And so I can't really speak a whole lot without living there and having that that lived experience. But I would assume through, you know, just reading that if it's, you know, 110 degrees every day, I could I could understand why they want to cool it down. I I don't necessarily think that's the best option, but I I get it. I mean, it makes sense. I think personally for me, I think I would rather have it like instead of streets, I'd rather just paint the buildings. I mean, because if you reflect the sun off the buildings, they should be cooler. But if you reflect the sun off the streets, it's going to go into the buildings, which is where people are, which is going to make them hotter, which I think is great for the winter, but a terrible idea the rest of the year. Well, and I know the concept because there's a lot of discussion about doing changing roof tiling and stuff to be a white or a light gray. And this is a pilot program. And so far, what they have shown is that it should create cooling by about 12 degrees in that area which is a huge difference it's significant now my brain immediately goes to well this was an opportunity to try out solar panels but Mm -hmm. if you want to cool a city you add more trees i'm always under the i'm the school of thought that says create canopy trees can handle that heat as long as they're watered And as long Mm -hmm. as there's shade, it's cooler. But they're just, in a sense, a they're trying to biomimic 
what happens with the ice caps. Because part of the problem with climate change is if we lose ice caps, that white reflective surface that we have on the top of the top of the bottom of the planet become a dark blue absorbing ocean. And then the planet gets warmer. And then the planet gets warmer. It, it stores more energy. So what they're looking at is this: these black roads are storing all this heat and energy. Can we bounce it back? But so there's multiple schools of thought. Do you want to collect it, keep it, and try to use it? Or reflect it back? And we'll get to watch because Phoenix is going to try to reflect it back. And the, we'll see how this pilot program goes. Well, I think that in terms of the the overall cost to the city, I think this would be the cheapest one, probably the reason they chose it first. And I, like I said, I, I don't have any lived experience. I understand in theory why people would want to have really, really, really cool cities. It, not cold per se, but at least the scene at Phoenix is hot. I have a friend of mine that lives um, a little bit outside of Phoenix, and his air conditioning runs 24-7. His air conditioning runs more efficiently than anyone I've ever owned in my life. And like he, his, his tech, his HVAC guy, like he's at his house like once a month because he can't handle the heat. He hates how hot it is out there and it's a dry heat. It's not like it's humid, but I mean, so we'll see. I I want you to keep us updated on that. Well, and unfortunately with climate change and as, as hot areas become hotter and temperate areas become hot, you're, we're creating places that we are using massive amounts of energy just to say that we can live there we're taking places that are generally ininhabitable like vegas or possibly phoenix arizona at some point and we're trying to engineer a way to stay there when it's really becoming inhospitable well i think that inhospitable is, is kind of a general term when really it's kind of how honestly almost any area is until we we start, you know, bringing industry into it and changing it you know, to, to suit us, especially when it's super hot or super cold. It's not necessarily something we're not, we're not in humans are a lot of things. We're not a hardy species. We're not going to, you know, get up and go walk and, and forage and hunting and gathering days are pretty much over for our civilization. Most of us are as tough as a feather duster. And if it's too hot or too cold, we melt and cry. I am a feather duster. I know that. And the other half doesn't think they are. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> those are the those are the the dust bunnies, the feather dusters that are old and tough and think that they're they think they're a dust mob, but they're not. They're they're just as fragile and you know as the rest of us. Like there's nothing wrong with enjoying the comforts of living an easy life, but there is something to say about like being real about the notion that we're not necessarily meant to. We're not built to live in certain climates. And on one hand. The fact that we are a social species, a colonial species, that that, that goes in our favor, that, that allows us to, to mitigate certain risks by, by sharing the burden amongst a mass of people versus, you know, one or two individuals. It's easier for 500 people to build a town and build a community and build shelters than it is for one guy in an area that's not good for us. I know I'm going, I'm talking too much about this, but that's kind of my thing, so. <laughs> well, honestly, I think I accidentally gave us a conversation that does in some way lead us into our topic because i said i wanted to talk this week about social justice different climate climate change the effects of climate change all these things create these issues with segments of society and that leads us actually into social justice look at that i actually moved us from our conversation into social justice and it fits together oh my lord judges yes let's mark this as mike's first successful segue (laughs) by the way i never actually planned to have a a segue it's just this was an accident a happy it's a happy it's a happy accident mr ross (laughs) so 
People may ask, how in the heck can a sustainability show talk about social justice? How does that work? How does that fit together? How do these two topics coexist? Well, we're going to figure it out right now. Well, and it's really quite easy. It's it's the damaging consequences of uneven development. It doesn't matter if it's environmental or social. It is that un that unlevel playing field. So when I talk about climate change making some places inhospitable, it's going to be a certain segment of people who have either A, all the technology to still live there comfortably, or B, they have the resources to leave, leaving those who don't have the resources still there to deal with whatever consequences have have inflicted the city. So I've never been to Phoenix. I can't have that conversation about Phoenix. So we're, we're just going to kind of use a fictional location. Oh, we're going to call it Flint, Michigan. Gotcha. <laughs> so what you have, that is not a climate concern. That has become an economic concern. Where I will companies, use go ahead. Econ, economic climate. That's what we're going to call it. In case anyone's so, wondering, Mike and I both simultaneously just took a drink of coffee. You're welcome. <laughs> well, it's coffee. It's morning, and it has to happen. It does. So it doesn't matter if it's climate change, where everybody is functioning in the wrong direction currently. Well, not everybody. Most people are functioning <laughs> in the wrong <laughs> wrong direction. Most of Cause, the herd are running towards the cliff. We got it. Yes, and causing grief for those who are most vulnerable. Or an economic climate, like like you were talking about in Flint, Michigan, when the major industry pulls a lot of its jobs away, leaving a tremendous amount of people exposed. Mm-hmm. It is extremely important to make the connection between sustainability and social justice because you cannot have a long-term stable society with grossly in a, in uneven tiers of mm-hmm. citizens. Historically, it doesn't work. I understand everybody has ideologies, you know, go capitalism, go whatever, or blend of all, which is what it's supposed to be. But if you create these uneven uh, segments, it always in history leads to something negative. And that's where this social justice key comes in. Well, I think that like most of the topics that involve people, this is a lot bigger than we're going to be able to really dive into. So this is going to be one of those scratch the surface things. When when cities and communities really um, are are built and they start to thrive and start to kind of progress through you know the natural order of things, you have your different financial classes and tiers. And and one of the things that at least historically, is that you have people that have a lot of money. They invest their money by putting businesses and industries into a, into a city. Okay, so then what they have to do? The next thing is that they have to find a way, or some com- some developer is going to come through and they're going to build cheap housing because that industry is going to need it's going to need labor. It's going to need people to live there to do it to perform the tasks that are that are so lucrative and you know needed to function. And so then they're going to build these communities. Well, generally, workers are obviously lower paid than the people that are paying them because that's the tier we live in. That's the the type of society that capitalism supports. And then you have these lower income areas. Well, lower income areas don't necessarily mean like low income. I'm not saying like poverty and poor. I'm just saying that you have, you definitely have a separation of classes financially. And as time goes on, as those people, 
you know, very often refuse to leave the communities they live in that, you know, and, and justly so you work your whole life, you buy a house and you're proud of your home. You know, you take care of it. You don't, you don't want to leave. You don't, you don't want to give it up. That's why you see so many people that you know, I worked, you know, 35 years for this and I've been here and I'm not selling blah, blah, blah. Okay, fine. That's fair. I, I'm not going to knock anyone's life achievements. I think it's wonderful that I support them for their, their hard work. But as time moves on and, and industry and starts businesses start to leave that community and we're talking that we're not talking like five years we're talking 30 40 years like generations go by as the the economic climate if you will shifts to something a little more mom and pop a little more blue collar those 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 employment opportunities start to to dwindle and you start to see more poverty you start to see lower like really actual low income areas and when you have low income areas you have a struggling population you tend to see a rise in crime now I am not a, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a statistician. I am not a professional in the sense that I have no actual documentation to back this up. I'm just throwing it out there for the anyone that looks through the history books. This happens, and it's not just in America. This happens in any civilized first world country in the world. This is just the way it goes. And so as the rise in crime comes, you start to have these these opportunities where there is a big change in the way areas are policed, and you start to see these these social justice sorry, social justice moments where you have these opportunities to really help some people, to see where the, the system has failed them, to see where things are way, way worse than they could be or even have to be. And then it usually takes, you know, a rather large demographic of noisy people to bring attention to it before we can have change. Because we're we're one of those um, keep it out of sight, out of mind kind of civilizations. We're perfectly content ignoring what's right in our closet, even if it's terrible, as long as no one else knows. It, it's like greenwashing our culture. I mean, it's if, if no one knows the truth, then it doesn't exist. Well, and I think there's a cycle of where financial gain takes advantage. So when you plop a factory down, the houses mm-hmm. around it are going to be low income. Yeah, okay. that's because the workers need places to live. The factory, that owner of the factory needs employees. Well, and so, but they're also going to have a, a bigger injustice, not just because it's a low income area, but it's going to have higher air pollution. That is where water will get polluted if it's going to, because it's near the factory that could compl- pollute it. Mm-hmm. There's these issues that, that start to leak into society. And when that when that business moves out, that society isn't great to begin with in that spot, but it decimates it. Yeah, it crumbles. So you get this only when it's financially viable. Like if you use Flint for an example, the North End is still ignored. It doesn't get the police coverage. It doesn't get the fire coverage. There's less buses that go there, which isolates more and more people, giving them less opportunity just from their general location. Well, yeah, I agree. And this is the reason when you said an imaginary town, that's why I said Flint was because that's exactly what the automotive industry did to Flint and in a lot of ways to Detroit. They came in, there was, there were booming cities, all these, these small towns went up, all these little suburbs, these, these big, great big houses and all these, these, these cul-de-sacs and all the, like for, for decades to support this industry. And then it, it started to it dial back. It started to move other places. And now you have all these communities where there's high crime, there's low income areas, beautiful houses at times. Some of these houses were just gorgeous places to live, but the, the financial market in Michigan just doesn't support those kinds of communities in those areas anymore. Right now, there's not enough industry for it. And it's heartbreaking to watch the things that people have went through. And, 
when I mentioned the people that like, you know, they're proud of where they live. That's what I meant. Those people that lived in those areas that worked 30 years at, at a shop to, to build this home that they've had, you know, since they were in their twenties, they're not going to move out. The, those, those people are, are happy and, and they love their community, but the people that are moving in around them don't share that same, that societal fabric, that moral fiber that the, the few, you know, the small minority of people really have. And I, there's a lot of opportunities. Like I said, this is, we're just going to scratch the surface. There's a lot of stuff to talk about here. Well, then it gets worse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just when it's, just when it's, it's bad because you have this, because remember, kids born in those areas don't get the opportunity that kids born in other mm-hmm. areas. So they start three laps behind in the race and they have less services. They have less availability to food. Hence one of the reasons why we're trying to champion these grow in the city kind of initiatives is because it's hard to get good fresh food to people because they don't open stores in those areas or they, mm-hmm. you know, chains jump out of those areas Hateful people will say it's only because of the crime, but it becomes a food desert. Well, well when it when I, when that gets worse over time, then the property value drops to almost nothing. Yeah, well, those hateful people are just ignorant. Crime is a symptom. Crime right. is something that struggling people do to feed their families. And you can say what you want, and you can and you can argue that some people just don't want to work. And yeah, I'm sure in the world there is a tiny itty bitty little bit tiny i mean just a minute amount of people that would rather just hustle break the law and not really want to have a real job but like people don't really commit in large most people don't commit crime because they like breaking the law this isn't some kind of 80s rebel movie it's it's hard times hard times breed hard individuals you do what you have to do to scrape by if you know you've got to hustle and you've got to do terrible things to feed your family odds are you're going to do terrible things to feed your family if it means feeding your children and i'm not supporting that i'm just saying that crime is a symptom of bigger problems right that if we functioned if we helped equalize opportunity then most of that goes away but what ends up happening is the next step And that is a company comes in and buys a bunch of blocks and creates expensive apartments Mm -hmm. because they can get the property sometimes for free and none of the residents there can afford to live there. So they tend to gate that community, make it segregated from the rest of the people around it. People move in it because it's the new trendy, cool place to live. Meanwhile, another company sees that success, buys another couple of blocks, and they just slowly shove all the residents who live there out by pricing them out of their own area. And if they can't price them out of the area, they'll out tax them because now the tax base has gone through the roof on these new facilities. Yeah. But that is so counterproductive in so many ways. Like I said, I understand developers wanting to make a buck, but when you do that, when you reinvest in an area that doesn't have economic, I need to figure out how to word this properly. When developers come in and they build the, these communities, it, up in these impoverished neighborhoods and areas, but there's no industry there to support even the new places. What you have is you have a small amount of people that will pay ridiculous amounts of money to live in in these luxurious new homes. And and if they can afford it, that's fine, whatever. But you also have these areas that for the people that are struggling, that are choosing crime, that just becomes like, it's like turning the light on like, okay, well that's where the money is. So that's where the crime moves. And I don't think it helps. I don't think any of it helps. Well, what happens is those individuals who are already put behind the eight ball are squeezed even more. So now you move this big, beautiful facility in, you, and, and suddenly you get police again. 
police now come back to that area, but they sit right there. Any of these people who are struggling, who do move to crime, and let's let's be very, very clear, tiny portions of people move to crime. A lot of it is just acting out, okay? Not massive. That's not the whole city has moved to crime. It's not every person shooting at each other. It is a small segment of people who either A, through education, didn't get what they needed to move forward, or B, was put in a situation where they have to make a decision. And that is what you were talking about. Supply for the family one way or another, but don't, but maybe don't have or don't feel like they have another avenue. You have to work with the tools you have. And if you, if you grew up with a lack of opportunity and a lack of support and all you know is how to hustle on the street, you're going to do what you know how to do. You know, when we were kids, what? Well, no, go ahead. When, when we were kids, you know, marijuana in Michigan was illegal. So so marijuana was the, the easy route. You know, selling weed was an easy route in, in those kinds of communities to produce an income that allowed you to, to have the things you needed in life. And like I said, I'm not I'm not judging and I'm not I'm not condoning or condemning. It just is a fact of life that when you have a reason to fight for things, you find ways to do it. And I generally believe that most bad decisions in life are from either a a lack of proper education or a surplus of the wrong education. I mean that if you don't have the right people in your ears and you don't have the right structure to be educated when you're young, you start to get educated on the street. And while it's good to be street savvy, it's not good to look at that as a way of life because it that kind of stuff is 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 long term. It's it's not a way to succeed. And when you have these you know these obvious social injustices there's lots of systems in place that that are meant to meant to help them but they're not they're, i don't believe that a lot of the systems are written the right way i think that they're needlessly complicated for certain for certain basic things like like a bridge card to get food if you listen to this a bridge card is what we what we call a, a card that the government issues to us that allows us to have a certain allocated amount of money for food per month that is um based on the criteria of like your, your income and such and so forth. If you don't make enough to where they feel like you could afford to feed your family, they do have programs to help and the programs are wonderful, but they're not, they're not easily accessible in the ways they need to be. And so some of these programs, while they're meant to help certain demographics actually end up being almost inaccessible to them because they're not written properly. And, and I'm not obviously a person that can rewrite them or write policy to influence them. I just know that in my twenties, in my early twenties, when I was really broke, living by myself in a one bedroom apartment that I couldn't afford to put food in. I couldn't afford to keep insurance on my vehicle. I had to walk to work. It was really hard to get assistance. And I'm not an idiot. I don't find myself to be a moron most of the time, but it was very difficult to understand the paperwork just to comprehend it, to apply. So I think that there's a lot of areas where we could really kind of dig in and make changes. Yeah. And all that stuff is designed to keep multi-tiers and keep those multi-tiers separate. See. When you when you talk about the bridge card, that is usually a stigma point that yeah. people want to mock or make fun of someone within that tier. Well, I can tell you, I've been in that tier over and over and over again in my life. You're I don't consider myself a poor worker. I don't consider myself lazy. But yet I have gone and been in that tier over and over and over again. And you had an opportunity for a reasonable education. And you were still struggling to figure out the process it takes because I'll tell you right now, it's a lot easier for, I'll use me as an example, because I've been in multiple tiers. 
it's easier for me to go to the bank and get what I want or need than it was for me when I wasn't in this tier to get food on my table. There's challenges. We, we, we create these problems. Then on top of it, there's an overlay of environmental health and risk. People who are who don't have the funding to live in a nicer place end up exposed to, for example, in Flint. They did, a fi- they did a financial decision to change the water, which poisoned thousands of residents. And yeah, you're right. And that's kind of what I'm getting at, though, is that you, you actually hit my point better than I did. And you did it by accident. We had reasonable opportunities growing up in terms of education, the choices we made. Like we didn't we didn't grow up in, a, in, a, in, a, in an, an impoverished neighborhood. We grew up. We actually went to a pretty decent school system. And those programs were for a short time almost impossible to penetrate for me. I just couldn't understand them. And I, I, I have a pretty decent understanding of that kind of stuff. Now, imagine someone that has a even poorer educational background that maybe dropped out of school when they were in the fifth or sixth grade or the eighth grade or ninth grade, or maybe someone who grew up on the street who barely reads and writes it. I mean, what what are the odds that they're going to be able to get it by themselves without having to have a caseworker and get approved and get through and actually get assistance for their, their life? It, it's not. It's not as easy as, oh, just go apply. It's kind of like you see these things online all the time. You talk about different classes and stigmas. I see one the other day that infuriated me. Oh, it made me so angry. Just a meme. It's a picture of a homeless guy. I, I assume that's the, that's what they intended to apply. It says, we'll, wor- we'll, do any, we'll work. We'll do anything for food. He's got a sign. And next to him, someone green screened a sign in that of a guy holding a sign that says Walmart is hiring. I got so angry at that picture because it's not. For starters, that struggling is not a joke. It's not funny. I don't. It's, it is not. You should never laugh at the that at the hardship of another person when it literally means life and death. When it literally means that the quality of life is dependent on your compassion. It is not meant to be funny. So you pick and joke, and and you know, we're, as humans, we we make a lot of jokes, but it, it's it's not it's not a laughing matter. When you actually think about it, you should feel ashamed. And I did. And when I looked at it, it was frustrating because, yeah, you know, Walmart is hiring and so is Subway. And so is, so is every other business that, that is here in the country at some point somewhere. Yes, they're hiring for staff. That's great. But let's look at let's look at the opportunity here. We have a homeless man or woman, an, an impoverished individual who has no place to live and has probably no clean clothes and probably, I assume, Maybe, maybe not the skill set, you know, to be adequate for the job. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't have a resume. Maybe there's a whole list of things that they're missing to give them the opportunity to get that job, to change their life. Well, that's where social justice needs to step in. I've seen so many things about people saying we should turn like old shopping malls into, into small, you know, small, tiny home communities. And I really think that's, that's what we need to do. We need to do stuff like that where we give these people a place to, a warm place to sleep. And a place to take showers and to be clean and be presentable. When you have a place where the clothes can be donated so they can look presentable for a job or for whatever it is that they need to apply for. Because unfortunately, especially in our country, all these great programs and all this stuff, but we have a very specific box of how you have to look to apply for all of it, which is kind of counterproductive. Like we really want to help people, but only people we want to help. Right. Well, that's a social injustice. We've selected who is good enough to receive this help and that because you heard a nerve i'm going to say a couple of things that you've heard me say in the past because i get i get angry because i've been mocked i've been made fun of i've had those things happen and i'm still quite a bit more privileged than many 
where I was able to go to school and do all these things when others can't. The things I want to say is, first of all, if anybody's listening and you see memes like that, don't even respond. Because I'll tell you, the person who's putting it out there has such a low self-worth. They're just trying to get likes. They're trying to get comments. They're trying to get laughy faces. And if everybody ignored it, they'd quit putting it out there. It's when we fight that fulfills them. So we need to just let it go. The next thing is, remember, never hold someone else to our standards. If you're going to look at someone and say, I would do it differently, that's fine. That's self-reflection. But if you look at someone and say they should do it differently, you will always be unhappy. You will always be angry. You will always be looking at someone else with the eye of scrutiny. And that's a waste of time. It's a waste of time, a waste of effort. No one will ever live up to your standards. And with that being said, keep in mind another thing. For every junior vice president of a company, there's a vice president that thinks he's lazy or she's lazy. For no matter what level of tier you're on. There's always someone above you willing to crap on you. So let's not let's not look at society as those tears and say, well, they must not work hard. They must not put in effort. You don't know if they have a mental illness because we don't treat that in this country unless you're insured. So we have to look at people as if they are people. And that's one of the, you know, when, we, when realistic sustainability goes out there and works on these kindness projects. It is to remind everybody that we are all people. We are equal. It doesn't matter if it is the individual in your meme holding up the sign because they're because they lack a home, or if you're the president of a company, you are still just a person. You are not better. You are not worse. And this kind of stuff gets under my skin because I think society has lost its ability to have compassion that news and politics and politicians love to pick on groups and make one group feel superior, we have better self-worth than that. If you are constantly looking down, it's because you feel sad inside. Work on yourself. Gain that confidence. And it doesn't matter what other people do. Sorry, that was my rant. No, you apologize to me. I agree. I think that some of the stuff... I think some stuff needs to be clarified that there is a, there's a vast majority of people that I don't believe all have low self-worth, but I do believe that they maybe have too much self-worth. They have too much confidence where they don't actually think things through. I think that when you, when you see something funny and you just laugh and repost it, you don't think of the, the, the negative repercussions or, or the influence it could have on someone else looking at it, may, that it may affect, it may represent, nor does it, nor does it reflect the, the day they're having or how they're going to take with their post. I have no way of knowing that. So I need to act with other people in mind. I need to act with compassion. Think about the future and how they are going to perceive. If, if you are posting things that, that can't be perceived with a heart, if, if you are posting things that are going to be taken or could be taken the wrong way, maybe you should think about the things you post. You should think about the possible, you know, effect it can have on people because, there's a lot of stigmas out there. A lot of them hurt, and a lot of them are things that are real funny to poke fun at, but they're not so funny when you're the one getting poked fun at. I'm not allowing myself to get angry and scream and get fired up, but the feelings I feel right now are just as powerful. I'm very passionate about this, and I'm not okay with the, the current state of like social media and the lack of empathy that most people demonstrate on it. Well, and it's not even just 
race it, or income, it's sexual orientation, handicap, religion, gender. We continuously like to cut humanity up into smaller and smaller bits and put us in different and different classes. So, I mean, there are people out there who proudly, proudly look down from their favorite truck brand on another truck brand. Like we have chopped ourselves into such small segments of individuals because here's the deal. If we can't join together and be one, we have no power, but we're to the point now where it's like my truck brand is better than your truck brand. And we, and you have ownership of that. Like it makes you feel good. You went and bought this truck brand and you're now feeling like a better person. So what we have to do is strip that away. It's bad enough that that we're all the way down to truck brands. But we have to take that away for gender. We have to take that away for sexual orientation. Like, we got a long ways to go if people are going to fight over their favorite tractor brand. So, anyways, one of the things I want to just push us towards is understanding ways to help support separating that social justice away from society the, or the injustice. And that is looking for companies who function within the triple bottom line. And you can usually find that on their website because their website will have a sustainability section. Look for companies who do a better job not damaging the environment around them, that they're looking for ways to reduce their consumption, that they're treating their employees correctly. I mean, shoot, I think it was, I can't remember the gentleman's name, but there was a CEO who raised everybody's rate. He took a pay cut, did a bunch of changes to make sure everybody in his company made at least $70,000. And you would have thought he blew up the world on, on all the business channels. They criticized, they attacked, they mocked. They're doing quite well. Matter of fact, they've tripled in revenues. It's amazing what happens when you take care of people. So take the time to look and see who values their employees. I recently realized that, you know, the hiring problems are being amplified even by the companies. They're playing a little game. Those little games tell me where not to shop. Tell me where not to go. I want to focus on those who treat others with respect. That triple bottom line is one of those aspects. And you can find that in their website. And the triple bottom line for those who have not heard it or in previous episodes is when they create a booking system for how, how they decide their business is successful, where the three columns are equal. That is your financial column, because in, in any business, you still have to make money. Then you have your societal model, which is how you treat your customers, how you treat your employees, how you give back to schools, how do you enrich the human experience? And then your ecological side. Are you ruining the, the, the land around you? Do you consume so much you're, you're a contributor to climate change? Are you carbon neutral? How is that working? That company has to function in all three of those pillars to be considered successful to themselves. Most of those companies do not promote a segregation of employee. There isn't the janitor's closet far away from the executives. So when they have that mindset that everybody is one, they treat that within their whole realm of existence. Employees feel like a person, unlike in some companies where people don't. They just feel like it's, they have a job and they're treated like a number. So you also have things that companies do 
society does, and even governments. The term redlining is a great example where maybe someone does have an income to get out of a certain area, but they can't get out of that area because banks won't lend to them like they would someone else. That maybe this individual has the income to move out of a a poor area, but the bank will not give them the, the money to move into the good area where someone who quote unquote fits the criteria for the good area can have less money, but yet still get that house. That's another form of social injustice that has to go away. What? Yeah. Tell me, Michael, or anyone else that hears this, this is a rhetorical question, but tell me what is the, um, what is the, uh, the draw to trying to work hard to improve your life and get out of bad situations. If you have systematic, failure that they don't allow you to remove yourself from that i mean why even try why even like what what's the point and i only ask that because like that's what people feel when they work hard and they, they make strives to improve their life and to get themselves out of bad situations is it is it wrong for them to feel defeated because i would feel defeated if, if i made all the right choices and started moving forward in my life and and doing good things for my family and then have a financial institution say um nope we're not going to lend you money and, and keep me stuck in this bad neighborhood or this bad community or this bad, this bad area. Like that's a huge injustice. And it's an injustice that it's an injustice that, that vibrates through generation after generation after generation. Like that's terrible. And we should applaud people that are pulling themselves up and, and using the steps, whatever, whatever it takes, we should applaud people for making progress and striving for you know, towards something better. That's the whole point of what we talk about. A little bit, a little bit, big bit. Like if they're making those steps, we should support that. We should do everything we can to prop them up, not let, let society hammer them back down. Yeah. And the whole concept is equalizing. And I know there's people out there who, who start screaming, you're taking from me and giving to them. That's not equal, you know, but Taxes. you have to give, you have to give the opportunities. I'm going to give an example that I've given before. I teach STEM for kids too. That's another side thing. I'm, I work very, very hard to make sure, especially in Flint, Michigan, and on the north end of Flint, Michigan, the most ignored place in the country, they get services there. And I have, when I first started doing it, I was just an instructor trying to get through college. And one of my students got called out into the hall and came back in all mopey. And I kept asking, what's going on? He's okay. like, it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. And you could tell it's, there was a change in his mannerisms. This is a young man that got robbed, right? His, his, um, his family got robbed again. And basically everything he had that was of value was gone again. And he basically just told me, it is what it is. I kept last year's Christmas list. And that's the moment that I decided, that I realized, how hard do you work when you can't even keep it? When you, when no matter what you do to get something small, to create some joy, someone takes it. And it doesn't matter if it's the crime side or the opportunity side, because when I taught in some areas, I had camera systems that would follow me around and microphones. When I taught in the north end of Flint, I brought my own pencils. And sometimes in the summer, they wouldn't even turn the lights on. These well, this kids is what do I was not get the about. same opportunity. This is what I was talking about, though, when I talked about the crime thing. When, you're, when you are raised in that with that experience, if that kid's lived experience, that kid's already dealt with more sadness and more heartache for a child than most people. Most adults couldn't handle that, getting robbed in the same place twice. Heck, buddy. 
When I was in my 20s, my truck got stolen. I packed up and left the city. When you're raised around that kind of stuff, and it becomes such an, it becomes so, you become so desensitized to that type of terrible stuff that it's, it is what it is. It's not, it is what it is. But when you, when you, when you are raised around that and, and that becomes part of your normal life, you start to, you start to look at it as, well, if people are doing it, maybe I should do it. And those are the kids that grow up. If they're not, if they're not put on the right path and not given the right opportunities, they're eventually going to become the next wave of those problems. And don't misunderstand me. I don't believe for a second, there is no such thing as a bad kid. All children are good. They might do bad things. They might have mere. They might have bad parents. They may, might be mirroring bad behavior. But there's no such thing as a bad kid. There are bad opportunities or a lack of opportunities. There are bad systems or bad structures. And like I remember specifically, I was driving down the road when you called and talked to me about that for the first time, and it broke my heart then, and it breaks my heart now. Like no one should have to go through that. No one should be expected just to deal with people doing terrible things because they don't have any other options. It's, yeah. And so how do we get them out of there? How do we create social justice? Social justice comes in the forms of education, equalizing education so that every child gets that same opportunity. And I get it. There will always be a second tier. There will always be someone who has a lot of money who's willing to push their kid a little further, but at least at a base level, there shouldn't be a line to drop below. And, and that line should be well above the need. We're talking about our youth. We're talking about children. So, and honestly, young adults, because you know me, I'm I'm a proponent of giving college and skilled trades to those who need it. Well, I mean, if we're being honest, if we're being honest, when we use the phrase children, I use the phrase children to to describe anyone that is a small child up until their mid to late twenties. I only say that because, and maybe people can disagree with me. I'm obviously not a scientist, but from what I've read, there are certain parts of your brain that don't even finish developing until you're mid to late twenties, like 25, 26 years old. And those are the parts of the brain that are responsible for your emotional control and the way you react to things. So yeah, I look at, I was a child in my twenties and I look at people that are in their twenties. I look at my teenagers as children because they, they don't have the, the life experience and the knowledge to, to handle life on their own. So yeah, I, I agree with that. Young adults too. It, it's hardship affects everybody. And regardless of you're 15 years old or you're 50 years old, if there's not, you know, social justice, if there's not people willing to stand up and fight for you, sometimes no one will. And if no one's willing to take a swing at the problem, then it's never going to change. No. And that's one of the reasons why, even though we're a sustainability show, this was important to make the connection because you cannot have a sustainable society when there's always a large group of people. And by the way, that group of people is growing. That group of people that is looked down upon by others is growing. The more we chop ourselves into smaller segments, the more that fall below that line and get looked at in a negative light. So human rights is another example. And I human, human rights, Mm -hmm. the rights of all people. You have the right to a lot of things. And I know there's a lot of people, at least on my Facebook, you have nothing should be guaranteed. You have no real rights or you shouldn't expect things. Yes, you should. Clean air. You should freaking expect that. Clean water. You should be able to expect that. We understand chemistry. That's an easy one. We can mass balance a lot of things. We know how to counteract contaminants. We know how to filter. Yes. You should absolutely expect clean air, clean water, and safe food. Bottom line, you know, so when it comes to human rights, it's a large 
book of information. But there are things that I don't care who you are. You deserve those things, no matter what. Honestly, shelter falls in there, too. There's a lot of things. But gender equality. How in the heck are we still paying different amounts based on anatomy? We're talking about jobs that take thought process, not the anatomy. Those kinds of things. Our society leaves a lot of silliness. You know, labor rights. You've got the bulk of people doing the work. They should be sharing in the joy of success. There's a lot of things we can do to equalize society. And I think that we all have to continue to keep that in mind. Do not let Facebook make you feel superior with a meme because that puts someone below you. Do not mock someone else's situation because you do not know their situation. We have friends, we have family, we have all these people on on social media who make themselves feel bigger by showing someone else who's smaller. That does nothing but create animosity between classes and strengthens the divide in humanity. There's no value. If you feel that way and you feel like someone is below you, hand them an apple. You do something. Vote for people who help people. That's what society, that's what community, you know, one of the things I've always heard is, well, we need a leader who treats this, treats everything like a business. No, you don't. By default, in business, it creates losers. The process of a business is a competitive advantage, which every time it moves up, someone else had to move down. That is not how communities work. That is not how society works. It should never be run like a business. It should be run for the people who live there. And that's one of the things I wanted to get across during this episode is equality isn't taking from one and giving to the other. Equality is just that, offering the same opportunities. Because I guarantee you, it doesn't matter if it's skin color, gender, sexual orientation, some people do not get the same opportunities as others. That has that's to a, change. That's absolutely correct. And and there's no better way. I couldn't have put that better than you did. And that was talking about hitting the nail on the head. Well, that's what I wanted to cover today. And I, and I really, the point I wanted to make was there is a direct correlation between sustainability, environmental and social sustainability in any country to social justice. They're hand in hand. They, they walk together. And it's as, as sustainability experts or novice or whatever we are these days, that, that connection has to be made so that when we see it in society, we're prepared to face it because that's our role is to point those injustices out and help balance them. And you don't have to do it through hate and anger. You can plant food throughout a city. There's other ways of doing this. You can set up freshwater deliveries or giveaways. You can do a lot of things in a community to help boost it. And I just want us to help see the difference. So that's all we have for this week. If you like this episode, share it on social media or, well, with a friend. Other ways to support realistic sustainability is by becoming a monthly sustainer on the Anchor host site or by going to greetingyourlife.org forward slash podcast or simply just leave a five-star review. We've kind of stalled. We've stopped at like 11. We were going real good there for a minute and now we haven't had any new reviews. So if you get an opportunity, please jump on your favorite podcast platform and just leave us a positive review. I just like reading them personally. It makes me feel good. And if I'm having a bad day, I swing through and just look at the kind words that you've all said. 
So thank you so much for listening. I hope you really did enjoy this episode. And remember, we only have to get a little bit better each day. Little bit, little bit, big bit. Thanks again. I'm Mike. And I'm Nick. And we'll see you next week. Hi, this is Mike, co-host of Realistic Sustainability, the podcast, which you probably already know. But I'm also the author of A Beginner's Guide to Greening Your Life. That was the book that led to our Facebook page, our Facebook group, and, well, even this show. It offers tips on promoting your positive footprint while decreasing your carbon footprint. So if you want to read what started all of this, get A Beginner's Guide to Greening Your Life, available on Amazon, eBay, Etsy, or just visit greeningyourlife.org for more information. Thank you for joining the sustainable movement and promoting a greener future.